minutes here, the Word of God, Psalm 80, and then we're going to turn to Hosea chapter 10. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereover like the goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea, and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all that all they that which pass by do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. So will not we go back from thee. Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Now, if you'll turn over to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. And I'm going to read to you a couple of verses at the beginning of this chapter, and then we'll look at our text, which is the verse we have been committing to memory. Hosea chapter 10. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his hand, they have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. And now our text, so to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your 
fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning we're going to consider that 12th verse that we just read. We're going to consider what I am calling fallow ground, yet faithful Savior. Before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to meet with us. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will use the word of God to instruct, to lead. Lord, to open our minds and our hearts. Oh God, may we be brought to thy feet. And may we find our souls being fed from above by the Spirit's power and by the mercies that are found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will bless each thought by the Spirit taking it and using it, framing it, applying it. Lord, I pray that you will help me then as thy servant. For Lord, the thoughts of a man's heart are worthless. We pray that you will guide then with the Spirit of God to those things that are to be spoken for the glory of Christ. Bless us then, meet with us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Even a cursory reading of the book of Hosea would lead our minds to note the immense love that God has for his people. One of the great promises of God to his covenant people is found in the last chapter of this book. A wonderful scripture to hide in your heart and to think much on. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. What a statement. The Lord says that he will love freely. That simply means that he will love when there's no restraints. There's no reasons for hesitation for him to love us. There's no remembrance of past issues, failures, and sins. The Lord will pour out unhindered, and I say heart-thrilling love to the end that the effects will last for his people for eternity. In contrast to the great love of our God is the cold and barren hearts of the earthbound men of which we read perhaps of which we are a part. The men spoken of here in Hosea are not heathens. They are not utterly ignorant and godless pagans. The people to whom the words of this book are addressed are a people that have entered into a perpetual covenant with their God. The picture used to describe these people is the imagery suggested in the psalm that we just read. They are the planting or the vineyard of the Lord. We read also again, as we read a moment ago in the first verse of chapter 10 of Hosea, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. Note that the picture is not of a fruit-bearing vine, but rather an empty vine. Or we might say, and I stress this word to you, a barren vine. 
a barren vine. It is to this people that the prophet comes and speaks a stern correction, which is our text. Don't be misunderstanding about our text. This is not a word that the prophet brings by way of just a suggestion. Oh, it would be good for you to sow in righteousness and reap in mercy. No, sir, this is a word of correction. These are words of rebuke. They are words which demand obedience, not just attention or acknowledgement. John Calvin makes the statement here that here is a protest, a charge with obduracy. Oh, I had to look that word up. Obduracy, which simply means un, to be unbending, to be stubborn, with no flex in the words. Here's a protest, a charge with obduracy. The people of God were not growing better. They were not increasing in the good mercies of God. They were going backward. And I would suggest to you, this is a serious failure. To be an empty vine, to be a barren field, as it were, for God is a serious failure. This is not just backsliding that we're talking of. This is becoming utterly empty in heart and life. Or we might say it this way, as the Lord has to deal with one of the churches in the book of Revelation, you've left your first love. The subject that I want us to think about this morning is simply this, that the Lord has given a clear word to those whose place and privilege it is to know him and love him. That word is it's time to sow. It's time for you to have that heart dealt with. So I would suggest that the message that we're going to think on this morning, the words of this message, are explained in the text itself, by the words themselves. And they forcibly set forth their meaning. So, I want you to think with me this morning on the message that we have here. And I want you to see there are three things that are presented in this text. First thing I want you to see with me is the condition. The condition. It says that there is fallow ground. Fallow ground. The condition of the hearts of the people is described as fallow ground. And I would suggest to you that that's a very sad condition, but often widely common. Israel is an empty vine, verse 1 of chapter 10 says. But our text sets forth an even more dire truth. The ground of the heart, the ground in which that vine is planted has become fallow. Simply put, the hearts that are being addressed, and if we have ears to hear, I say, let us hear too. The hearts that are being addressed are characterized as barren fields. There is nothing growing here that should be growing. What is growing, rather, is weeds and briars. Further, the term fallow would suggest that there has not anything grown of value in this field for quite some time. 
It's not just a matter of a day. The problem is not a matter of a moment. It's not an issue of a short period of time. There's been a time period that's gone by in which there has been no growth, no fruitfulness, no being what we're supposed to be. The idea here is that there has been a field that has been unworked. An unworked field, a field that is neglected, a field that is used for nothing and produces nothing. And the field has become unsightly, or may we even say it, the field has become an eyesore. Now, I am going to just simply translate this. You, what I'm describing to you is a picture, but I want you to understand that that's the Lord's applying of this thought, this picture, to the hearts of his people. It is possible for the people of God to become fallow. You know, a farmer might use such a field as a pasture. But more likely it just sits and exists for no good purpose. Such ground needs to be broken up. That would also mean that the soil of this field is not that which is soft and good, but rather that which is hard and clay-like and needs to be broken. The work of such ground requires sharp plows and it is hard going and it is time consuming to transform such a, such a field. You say, what are you trying to get at? Simply this. Many are the hearts that are just this way. Many are the hearts among God's people that are just this way. I might ask the question of us, how many believers have a heart that is barren? How much of grace and good has been seen? How much fruit has been produced for the glory of God and the good of his people? And I will say it's sad to say that so frequently this is the condition of many that call themselves the people of God. We say that we are Christ's. But I would ask, even though we can say we are Christ, are you enjoying Christ today? And I think there will be some. If we were to ask the question about the state of the heart, would have to say very plainly, you know what, brother? I don't want to have to say it, but I feel miserable. I feel my heart, my life is miserable. There's little cause for rejoicing. A common situation. The Lord has to deal with this people on that subject. But this is not just something that is of a day or of a people of a, of a particular year. This is an ongoing issue. You know, a heart that's in such a state sometimes is ignorant of the fallow condition. And it's possible to be that way. We think that other things, <laughs> this is how we can, we think that other things are wrong. And if it, if it weren't for those things, then I would be rejoicing and I would be fruitful and I would be this or that for God. No, we don't want to admit that there is something that's within our own heart that causes us to have to say, I am barren before God of the things that I need to be fruitful for Christ. No, we say within ourselves so often, if only God would do this or that, then my heart, my life would be a real Eden. But 
The Lord is not helping me, so I have to muddle through my days. All I can say is, oh, that the Spirit of God would come among us and allow us to see where we are with God. I do not say this is the condition of every saint, but it is a large number of us that muddle through these days in just this condition. Why? What's the cause? What's the cause of the condition? Paul makes a statement to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that really does explain it. And it's, he's talking about worldlings. Yes, I admit it in this portion. He's talking about worldlings, but I don't think the, the issue is any different for those who even name Christ. 2 Timothy 3 and 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Yeah, is it possible for a child of God to love himself? Perhaps more than he loves God. Well, you know the answer to that because the Lord Jesus speaks to, as I said, one of the churches in the book of Revelation, the Lord comes to him and says, you've left your first love. What's that mean? That you love something more than you love me. There it is, plain. That's, it's a condition that well is likely among those who are negligent of the things of God. We do not fulfill what we have been saved to do. You know, that was not, of course, the Lord Jesus. You read John chapter 17, you come away noting just how much the Lord Jesus loved the Father. He loved him more than all that existed, and particularly he loved him more than his own will. I say there is in this a warning to us. The barren heart is barren because it is unworked, just like any fallow field. Fallow field. It needs plowing. It needs seeding. It needs fertilizing. You say, what are you talking about? I'll say this. It needs the plowing of worship. It needs the seeding of the word of God. And it needs fertilizing by prayer. The main reason that we find our hearts unworked is that we love something more than we love the Lord. And I say that is the whole thing. If you want to take Hosea and boil it down to something, I would say that that is this. Something of the world, something in life, something that maybe we would have to say there's nothing wrong with that, but it's loved more than, it is, than you love the Lord, then there is something that's the problem there. Oh, hear the sentiment of David. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful. When the Lord took Peter aside that night, I think it was night. It may have been morning. It may have been early after night. And calls him with the disciples to the shore and says, come and dine. And as they're dining, the Lord turns to Peter. You know the, the, the scene. And he says, Peter, lovest thou me? Peter says, Lord, I, I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. Can I say this? Lovest thou me? Lord, thou knowest I love you. Bear fruit. Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, I love you. Bear fruit. 
How many times did you say that? Three times. What's the issue? The issue is I need to know and experience and enjoy and return the love of Christ that he has to me. So I just ask this, and it's just because we are here before the Lord, I ask the question, do you sense in in your own life a heart barrenness? Well, we have to ask then, what's the cure for such a thing? What are we to do? It seems somewhat hopeless. Notice, secondly, the cure. The cure is seen in the action verbs that we have in this scripture, in our text. So, break, seek. And I suggest to you that these three instructions are not separate from one another, but are all part of the same act. They're not even three parts of the same act. They are one. They happen together, and they have the same end. Let's consider them. First, we are to sow in righteousness. You know, I was... I don't know whether the word... um, No, I wasn't discouraged, but I was somewhat of a question in my mind to read some uh, one particular commentator that I read that said well really what we're talking about here is a sense maybe of reform change your ways sow in righteousness start doing righteous things in other words in fact his statement was exercise piety toward God and equity toward man and I was thinking as I was reading that I said you know that seems more the result than it does the means When a man is fruitful, then yes, he has piety toward God and he has equity or loving his neighbor. It's not that working that you're doing that's producing the difference in the heart. It's the difference in the heart that's producing the work. And I would just simply say, you will never have either one of these two things, piety toward God or equity toward men, until your field has been made right. In fact, I would almost tend to think that that statement that was made could actually have been the statement or the motto of the Pharisee. Live uprightly, do good to those around you. Peter, the same one I just mentioned a moment ago, that the Lord stresses the love of his heart to Christ as the reason, the producing means, if you will, of his being fruitful, offers this as instruction to us about how we become fruitful. He says in Second Peter, you probably even know these words well. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And beside this, giving all diligence. Now, here's the fruits that you're supposed to be adding and producing and seeing. He says, add uh, besides giving all diligence, add this to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, I had to stop and ask myself at that moment, well, how does that work? Yes, I agree. If these things are in me and abound, I won't be unfruitful, either in the knowledge of Christ or the work for Christ. Well, how do you do that, though? Again, Calvin addresses this by saying, the saint is without any real strength in this vital work. How can we sow righteousness? So he asks the question along with me. And then he makes this statement. He says, you know, the prophet does not explain how far the ability of the saint extends, only that he is to do. In other words, what he's saying is here, the prophet, what we're being told here to do, he doesn't tell us how much ability we have innately to do these things. But he just says, do it. You and I can't add grace to grace and mercy to mercy. You and I, in and of ourselves, cannot hate evil and love good all by ourselves. We cannot be holy as God is holy by ourselves. But here's the point. The Lord tells you, do it. Do you see a bit of a, a question there? How, do, how does this work? I'm to be holy even as God is holy, but how? How? What does this mean? I believe it comes to this. You and I are to come by faith to step away from the old and leave it behind. In other words, take a step toward Christ. Let me give you some illustrations of what I'm trying to say. The Lord Jesus was in the synagogue once in Capernaum, and there was a man there that had a withered hand. And the Lord asked the Pharisees and those that were there, is it lawful to heal on the Lord's day or not? On the Sabbath day or not? Of course, they don't answer. So he says to a man whose hand is withered, do you understand there's no strength, there's no ability there? He simply says to this man, stretch forth thy hand. Again, do you see what I'm trying to say? He didn't have the ability to stretch forth his hand, but by faith believing the word of Christ, he takes a step toward obedience. And as he purposed, as it were, I will obey, his hand became as the other. You say, well, that's seen elsewhere too, isn't it? Oh, yes. The palsied man laying in his bed, can't move. His friends let him down through the roof. He's on his bed. And then there's, of course, the controversy. Who can forgive sins? The Pharisees are all upset because the Lord Jesus says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But then he says, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. How's he supposed to do that? But by faith, he takes the step toward following the instruction of Christ and the Lord does the healing that is needed. Well, let's take one even more dramatic than that. The Lord Jesus comes to Bethany one day. And the whole area through which he comes, the whole group of monks which he finds himself, is mourning over the death of Lazarus. And yet the Lord comes to the tomb of Lazarus, and what does he say? Lazarus, 
come forth. A dead man. How is he supposed to come forth? He has, he's not even alive. But wait a minute. There was the power of Jesus Christ in the command of Christ. You know, he did the same thing for Jairus' daughter. Made I say to you, arise. Peter and John, when they go up to the, uh, the temple that day, they see the man laying there. And they say to a crippled man, stand up and walk. How does he, what's, what's the point? There was an estimation first. I do esteem the command of Christ more than I do what I'm feeling, seeing, knowing otherwise. I will step toward Christ. I will make that first step by faith. And the Lord then does the rest. Child of God, how is it that you're supposed to sow in righteousness? How is it that you're supposed to break up the, heart, the, the fallow ground. It is, I say by this, faith looks away from the old, counting it but, lo but loss, and looks to Jesus. I ask you, can you do that? Can you do that? If you're a child of God, you can, because you have the Spirit of God telling you, you aren't well able. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And all the other things that you're dealing with will be helped break up the fallow ground is our second instruction well you can't do that either we can't come to the place where we displace the old loves or hate evil by resolve to do so that's true that is the work of the Holy Spirit applying the word of God break up your fallow ground. How is that? It is by the Holy Spirit using the word of God. How do you break the fallow ground of your heart? It is by the power of the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 29 says, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? There's power in the word of God. This is not just a book that teaches us thoughts and theories and history. This is the living word of God that the spirit of God can take and will take and use in your heart to break up the fallow ground. Do you want to get rid of the fallow ground? Pour in the word. Indeed, this means to break with the world is to pour in the word. Psalm 119, verse 25, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. There's the two contrasts. I have been cleaving to the dust. Now you pour in the word, O God, and that'll be my power that, or the power that breaks the fallow ground. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. There it is. Feasting on the word of God. There's power in the word of God that breaks up the fallow ground. First I say it, it is this. You take the step toward Jesus Christ. It may be a feeble, it may be a faltering, and it may be a failing step, but it is a step toward Jesus Christ in faith. And then you pour in the word of God. You break up that fallow ground, and then you come to the last part and seek the Lord. 
this is not something that is very hard to understand. Seeking the Lord. What's that a reference to? I think this plainly means prayer. Prayer. There is no exercise, I will admit, there is no exercise that is harder on the flesh than prayer. It is hard. Yes, it is hard to pour out the heart to the one who is not seen or heard physically. Prayer is all an act of faith. You understand? Prayer is all an act of faith. But you know one thing that's a consolation is this. The Lord knows that prayer is hard. And I would suggest to you this. That that's probably why he tells us to pray. Because it is hard. If prayer was easy and all we did was just say something that immediately happened, faith would fall to nothing. Job makes a comment. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Yes, he knows the way that we take. He knows that we are not strong. Indeed, that's why we have one who is an intercessor for us. We have a paraclete who is alongside us that helps us in our prayers, praying, or taking things and translating them as it were, because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But here it is. It's a very simple thing. And you say, well, I'm so weak in all of this. Yes, you are. So am I. But child of God, here's the remedy for the barren field, the barrenness of our hearts. We step toward Christ. We pour in the word. And by faith, we reach out to our God in prayer. And as that takes place, then there's something that comes to us. And you say, what's that? Well, here's my last point, the conclusion. The conclusion. We are given two things that we are told we see. First, there's a reaping in mercy. And then there's reign of righteousness. What are these? Well, I'm going to take the second one first. There will be reign of righteousness. Now, this is not a statement, child of God, plainly, that when you do these things, you'll end up becoming a glowing example of a nearly perfect saint. In other words, you're, you're not going to be able to say of yourself, I have arrived. That's not what we're talking about when it says to rain righteousness upon us. Rather, the thought is that the Lord will cause, and I'm calling it spiritual water, rain, spiritual water from his own righteousness to bring forth fruits of righteousness. The Lord will allow that which is of himself, Christ-likeness, conforming us into the image of his Son. Or may I put it this way, Paul puts it in this, in this sense, he that hath begun a good work and you shall perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He is going to perform in us that work that makes us more like Christ and less and less like the world. Theologians simply call that sanctification. It will happen when you break up the fallow ground of your heart by the means that God has given. There will be an effect. It is a natural effect, but it is also a necessary effect. It will happen. And you and I ought to stay, step back and say, hallelujah. 
because if it's all up to me, it's not going to happen. But when it's in the hands of my Savior to make me like himself, to help me, to lead me on to God, that's going to happen. He'll reign righteousness. Then the second thing that we're seeing that the Lord will give, this is a necessary and a, a, a predictable effect, as if you will. We will reap in mercy. What's it mean to reap in mercy? Well, I think this. The Lord our God will ensure. Hang with me on this thought. He will ensure that mercy has its way. Pure, holy, God-filled mercy. If it has its way, if it's known in the perfect sense, what will it produce? Halfway deliverance? An adjustment maybe of my self-thinking or my self-worth? What will it produce? It will produce all that God means for mercy to have in the life of his child. It's the character of the work of God. His mercy so works that the fruit of that forbearance and cleansing of God has its outward signs that come to the fore. In other words, mercy shows the fruitfulness of Christ in us will be seen. We memorized some time ago, it's been over a year now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You know that verse, do you not? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, we say it, we say that verse, and we would have to say if we were honest before God and we were truly saved, we would want that to be our case. But often, all too often, we have to say that it's not so. The Lord's mercy must have its way. We must reap in mercy. And if we do see that, then it will be that which will allow us to be seen. It'll be seen. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. You're a city set on a hill, which cannot be hid. You can't hide the one upon whom the grace of God is at work. Now, let me mention this to you just as a by the way. Fields, fallow fields, barren fields are not reclaimed in an instant. The plowing, seeding, and fertilizing is often slower than would be thought. It wouldn't, shouldn't be a surprise to us that when the Lord begins his work in us, that it's taking a little bit longer. There are things that have to be done, things that have to be weeded out, and things that have to be planted in. And it's taking longer than we might wish. But it is being done. It is being done. And I think there, that's one thing that I believe that believers struggle with, so many of us. We say, wow, I'm saved and I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. But I just find it's taking so long for these particular things that I don't want to be out of my life and the things that I do want to be in my life. Well, you know, you also have somebody who stands behind your, your shoulder and whispers, well, that's because you're not saved, really. If you were saved, these things would happen. You're not seeing these things happen. 
And if they do, they're so microscopic that hardly anybody notices. Therefore, you must not be saved. No, sir. No, sir. The Lord does not have to go by our timetable to produce his purpose. Our place is to continue to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what's my, my final thought? What's the application here? If you find, if you find that you've, the description of this warning, if you will, is true for you, my admonition, my encouragement is simply this. Step toward Christ. Then step again. And step again. And step again. Keep stepping toward the Lord Jesus by faith. And you'll find that there will be things that you will know. You'll come to see and enjoy the reign of righteousness. You'll reap in mercy. may the Lord allow the word of God to be that which truly reaches our hearts today and moves us to go on with him to fruitfulness for Jesus sake let's pray Father in heaven now we would pray that you will bless the word of God we pray that you will let it be that which truly is not only just an instruction to us but may we know the power of it working in our hearts. Lord, it is your word. It does not return to you void. It does accomplish that whereunto you send it. We pray that it will be proven true again for us even this very day. The Lord, as we step toward the Lord Jesus, as we meditate upon the word, and as we would seek you in prayer, even though we have to admit how feeble our prayers are, yet we'll know indeed that it is a step toward Christ and that he will extend the hand of mercy, the hand of help to us, that we might go on in joy with our God. Lord, we pray thy blessing as we leave this place. We pray that thou keep us close to thy heart and in thy fear. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.